Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. We are back at it again, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us, whatever time, whatever place it is. How are you doing today, my friend, Mr. Walter? I'm doing really good, Devin. Uh, I know we got a great topic today. It's a topic that has been in the news for, shoot, more than a decade now. Decades. Decades, yes. Yes. And uh, it's been a problem in, uh, in sports. Uh, we're talking about doping. We actually uh, had an article I sent to Devin on, from The Guardian and uh, the name of the article is How Cheats Cheat, Why Dopers Have the Edge in Athletics, War on Drugs. And, and it just talks a little bit about how easy it is to, to beat some of these uh, tests and regulations. And when I sent it over to Devin, he fired back at me. He said, man, I just listened to this, uh, this podcast, this Joe Rogan podcast. And uh, he was talking to uh, Jeff Nowitzki, uh, the guy who brought down uh, Lance Armstrong. Uh, and also Barry Bonds. Among many. Among many. Um, he is the uh, the Elliot Ness of doping. and uh, I'm sure he appreciates that tagline. He that probably tag does. He probably know. does. Um, and I listened to that podcast this morning and got really fired up. And uh, so I am uh, definitely interested in talking about There's many facets to it. Uh, you know, we can talk about uh, doping of the past, uh, what it has already done to the uh, sports uh, that it has ravaged. Um, and also we can talk about doping now where, where we are in sports now, and then we can talk about doping in the future. And, you know, that's where it kind of gets a little bit sci-fi. There's some, some really, um, interesting, uh, methods in which, uh, you know, there's coming down the pike and both sides are kind of preparing for it. I, I would imagine. So I'm going to send it back over to Devin and see what, uh, what his thoughts were. Um, and, uh, then we'll get rolling. Definitely a deep topic. We could pick individual elements out of the story and talk about each one for an entire podcast. So I'm not sure where we're going to go with this. I want to devolve this bitch back to its root and just start with kind of an overview on the topic and ask you a question, Matt, which is why do you think there's such uh, you know, a PED culture right now more so than ever? I mean, we know historically dating back to when we suspected the Russians of doing it during the Cold War in the Olympics that PEDs were starting to become more rampant as technology became prevalent. But it doesn't seem until recently that we've kind of adopted this mindset for people who are in the know about doping and steroids that in most major sports you kind of assume that the majority of athletes are using something, something that's illegal. So why do you think that PED culture has become so prevalent? Honestly, I think that we've mitigated the risk. I think that there's enough monitoring of the administration and the usage of the drugs at a high level. It's systematic, it's clinical. Uh, it was proven in the uh, Lance Armstrong case that, it, that there was no second guessing of what they were doing. These teams have money. There's a lot of money involved in sports. Um, and it's also, we are very, very used to the blend of the, uh, the, the, the biological and, and the scientific and the technological now. You know, we have wearable technology. We use implants a lot. And so people aren't so afraid of um, manipulating their body through scientific means in order to achieve a goal, which is, uh, you know, fame and money. So follow-up question then. If there was no fame or monetary gain associated with athletics, do you think people would still be compelled to use steroids 
just for the ego satisfaction of winning? Or do you think there needs to be this overtone of, you know, gain of some sort where it's monetary, where it's fame, where it's something that you can kind of stack up, you can actually have a physical, you know, representation of it. No, winning, winning's enough, right? Winning's enough. I mean, look at it. You have it in the amateur level. You have it in, um, you know, uh, people people take steroids just to go to the pool parties in Las Vegas. You know what I'm saying? And so there is a uh, there is a in a, sports a, though. I'm saying, do you think people would take it in sports just to win? If there wasn't any other type of like monetary gain or yeah, fame, just to win. Yep, just to win. Yep. I think winning is I think winning is strong enough of the drug for people to. Uh, take drugs and jeopardize maybe getting caught, maybe not for that for that fame. So you'd say the cultural hold and like desire for winning is so strong that even if there was nothing to gain except like that little stroke of the ego that I was better than this guy on any given day at a particular random set of rules we come up with for some game, that people would still be willing to put their bodies through all this stuff, even if it was illegal. Yeah. Even if it was illegal, they'd still do it. Because, see, I have a different theory about it, which is just that because fame and money are so embellished in culture, I mean, it's always been that way throughout time, but I think it's gotten even more... But I don't think you can have, I don't think you can have winning without... Fame without winning, right? So it, no, they go hand of, in of hand. Course, of course. So the, the fame thing is hard to really take out of the equation. So, no, it's a, philo- it's a philosophical exercise, though. So, it's so, a philosophical exercise. It's not a literal question because we know that can't really happen. There's never going to be a society in a world that we have where people are playing games that you win where other people aren't watching and then celebrating the fact that you're winning because we live vicariously through others. But you think so that I get winning that. isn't strong enough? I mean, I think it plays the a big that you get when I, you win. I think course, it, I think man. it plays people a big part. Do I that think it plays win. a big part of it, but I don't think people are willing to break the rules, do illegal things. You know, like people are risking their careers, their legacies. People who could be the greatest baseball player of all time, Barry Bonds. You know, this is a guy who he would have been in the top 50 players of all time if he hadn't taken steroids. He was the uh, you know the 40 40 40 club before he was ever juicing. So you're saying that the leverage, like, absolutely the amazing. leverage is the is the is the is the the fact that you have the fame, the money, and the winning, and the and, and when you lump that together, that becomes so uh, intriguing that you're willing to risk it and do that. You know, like I said, it's tough to gauge because steroids are such a recent thing. We don't have that much history of them. You know, people playing sports since pre-Olympics. We've got the Olympics to go off of, so you know, let's say thousands of years minimum. We could date back all the way then. Modern steroids, I mean, things that are really modern medical marvels of science that can, you know, dramatically increase your red blood cell count, like EPO, Mm -hmm. instantaneously. We've got a very limited sample size to go off of, of that history of things. So it's tough to predict how much the technology's influenced and how much the fame and money have influenced. But I think you've seen that as it's become more readily available, the fame and money have gone extrapolated into the stratosphere. We're talking about going from, you know, 50 years ago, you could make 50,000 a year playing baseball. And, you know, maybe like if you're the top 10 players, oh, yeah. people know about you. Into the stadium now and now every player makes millions of dollars and they're famous and you're on TV and you got a Twitter feed and this and that. I think there is a lot more to be gained by cheating. We're back in the days, there wasn't as much to be gained. The science wasn't as proven. It wasn't as readily available. Like you said, you know, people weren't as certain in it. It yeah. wasn't clinical. Yeah. And there was, uh, I mean, think about the risk involved. And there was a, a lot less to risk 
at that time, like it's like I'm risking so much for so little to gain. I'm making maybe ten thousand dollars a year as one of the best baseball players in the world. If I, you know, start using some illegal Mexican steroids, Joey the catcher gave me, <laughs> do I risk everything? Right. Even though they can't test, if they right. find it in my locker, like what's this going to happen? Right. Nobody does steroids either. Nobody talks about it. Now we know everyone talks about it. Everyone's proven. You're like here, Devin, this is for the thoroughbreds. That's what they used to be. They'd be like, these are Mexican steroids, Jimmy. Like, how are the other from Mexico? Because they're Mexican, okay? <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. So let's pull it back to, you know, kind of kind of what's going on, maybe a little bit about what, uh, about what um, you know, Rogan and those guys are talking about. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll ask you a question to uh, tie it into something a little more modern, which Rogan, when talking to Nowitzki about this, he asked him this question, and Nowitzki gave one of those answers that had you and me shaking our head, pounding it on a wall, wondering how bureaucrats like this are in charge of stuff. And Rogan asked him, what's the difference between a supplement and a performance-enhancing drug? And his response was, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, well, the Nevada State Regulatory Body, you know, they, they analyze the data and then they, they determine that. That's not a real answer. So let me ask you, Matt, because you aren't full of shit. What's the difference between a supplement and a performance-enhancing drug? The performance-enhancing drug works. <laughs> the supplements like the the what, like the fish oil pill or the the protein like, powder you yeah, buy. You might get there, you know. The protein powder it's, you it's buy at Costco. drink, you know. It, it, I, I mean, and, and and maybe I don't know enough about supplements nowadays. Um, you know what's going on, what's out there. I know that they have like some of them are causing serious problems to people. Apparently, uh, still. Um, which is re less regulated than the drugs that they're banning. I don't. I don't know, man. I mean, honestly, it's an interesting um, kind of conundrum because, on one hand, you have these supplements which are completely unregulated. We can make some in your kitchen. It's already you know that, that bigger, faster, stronger, yep. right? They talk about that and they show you know that type of thing happening. Um, and uh, then these drugs though are developed by pharmaceutical companies it's basically the same as you know any of the pain pills that are out there that people are prescribed compared to the illicit drugs that are on the streets that do the same things so it's obviously a cleaner more regulated type of thing but those are the ones that are banned and they could actually extend the health and life and longevity of their career for the athlete you know there are many arguments you made in the favor of using steroids. Bigger, Stronger, Faster, for people who don't know, it was a documentary uh, made by this gentleman, Christopher Bell, about the use of anabolic steroids in the United States and how that related to the American dream. Uh, very, very great documentary, highly recommended. He takes a very nuanced approach. It's not really either pro-steroids or anti-steroids. He's just kind of showing all angles from it. And one of the things that got mentioned in a follow-up interview I saw with him is that the science has actually proven that steroids aren't that dangerous. Right. They're, 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 there's not a ton of history of studying them, but they haven't been proven to be that dangerous if they're used the right way, mm -hmm. correct? If they're used clinically. And that's what I was saying is that why more people are, are, are you know, pushed into, into doing that more easily now is because you can monitor that stuff. You know, I mean, even uh, they were talking about, Nowitzki was talking about that uh, cycling teams were investing in machinery to test these levels every evening uh, of their cyclists 
to make sure that they were either, uh, you know, within regulation, but I mean, also I'm sure cyclosafety was involved because if your hematocrit gets too high when you take EPO and, and your heart stops pumping because your blood basically turns to sludge. Yeah, it's so weird that like, you know, I had cyclists waking up in the middle of the night to ride their bikes or do some push-ups because they feel like their blood's stuck. Start to be stuck in yeah. their feet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get up and walk around and do other things to keep their blood moving, keep their feet up while they're sleeping in their bed. So, so you'd say the difference between a supplement and a PED, it's a very fine line between when it becomes too effective. Too if, effective. If, if it's not that effective, we'll be like, okay, it's a supplement. You can take it because we don't know if it's going to help you. But if we know it's going to help you a lot, then you shouldn't be allowed to take that because you shouldn't be able to get a lot of help that and somebody I, else couldn't get, right? That, that's the argument. If you can get something and it gives you a lot of help and I can't get that, that's not fair to me, right? Right. So then my follow-up would be, is access to high-cost, high-level training supplementation the systematic equivalent of PEDs? Because mm. you've got people who are either rich, connected, you know, through friends, through family, or uh, whatever circumstance they're in, and because of this, they're able to have world-class trainers. Oh, yeah. World-class facilities. Look at Stephen Curry. He's the son of an NBA great. He's born with superior genetics, designed to play this game than the rest of us. His father groomed him through his entire life to be an expert in this game. You've got BJ Penn sleeping in a sensory, not, not sensory, in a hyperbolic uh, elevation chamber. Yeah. One of those plastic tents where it simulates hypoxic tents. Yeah, it simulates high altitude, 10,000 feet. It's basically the equivalent of EPO. Yeah. Slowly, it's just slower acting. And over time, it's giving you a higher red blood cell count, increasing your oxygen levels. Yeah, so here, here's so, the other so, thing, so, though, so, with that, though. But so if you have access wait, to that, wait, wait, and wait, I don't. But here's the thing. It, with that tent, it, it, it comes down quickly, too. So it, it'll stay up, and it'll be elevated, and, and, and it'll it'll stay longer than most people that come back down from altitude. But it'll eventually, it will come back down. So because the gain isn't permanent, it's okay. Well, the gains are never permanent. I mean, even when you take steroids. They say, they say steroids, some of the gains are permanent, for sure. Yeah, some of them. But not the immediate gains. Like HGH? Not, not all the, the gains don't, don't stay. Like you HGH, don't, most of the gains don't you stay? You can watch those guys sometimes when you can. Back in the day when baseball and, and guys were taking steroids or not taking steroids, and you could see the changes in, in people and, and the way that they blew up and then they get smaller. So, I mean, obviously the size gains don't, don't, don't stay. Yeah, I mean, that's like more unknown back then. It's so much more clinical. It's tough to know if somebody is using nowadays based on just the physical profile. Well, nowadays, you can, you can tell when, when it's egregious and they're bash brothers, when guys are just taking huge amounts of tests. It's super obvious. Well, what they're right? finding now is that the microdosing, taking yeah. these micro doses of these drugs over time, um, they can still, with the training, see benefits. And, 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 yeah. and, and, and significant increases in performance by taking these micro doses, which can uh, beat the test. I mean, let's get to the, uh, you know, the biological passport. That's Between, you know, somebody not being able to use a PED because it gives them too much of a gain, it's not a fair level playing field or whatever, versus somebody having access to world-class trainers, world-class facilities, high altitude oxygen tank, cryo chambers that you can use to cool down instead of an ice bath. You know, if you're rich, you've, you're connected, you got all this stuff, that's going to help make you tons better. We would all agree with that. That's like the literal real world equivalent of a PED. And I don't have access to it because I'm poor. How is that fair to me? If we really care about a level playing field, then why is all this other stuff allowed? Why isn't like, well, guess what? 
You know, we all have to go through this public system to play this sport and do the same. Let's really make it level. Well, but we, I, but we, we like the illusion of, of things being fair is another one of my theories. Uh-huh. We like this like very mocked up illusion that everything was equal. When we know things aren't, genetics, financial well-being, so, uh, f- family stability, how stable your life is. You might have the genetics and the money, but some crazy shit happens in your life when you're a kid and you don't get to play that sport you wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Or you just don't like sports and you were built to play it. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's a very, very good question. And, and I tend to agree with you that it is not fair. Not everything is a level playing field, but you know, over and over and over again, we see people come out of uh, circumstances that are, that are difficult to excel in sports. I mean, that just having a scientific advantage to have the, the, the amenities around you to do all of these things isn't, doesn't equal all the time a high level of success. I mean, that's really kind of like... The hard work, determination, and the heart, and the grit, and the, and the passion that it takes to, to pull yourself out of, a, out of a hard situation and to rise to those heights are what makes those people. Barry Bonds didn't hit home runs because he took the clear. Tiger Woods didn't hit huge drives and sink putts because he took HGH or whatever. All these great world-class athletes, hard work, it's the truth. Now... That bit of steroids elevated them, perhaps, from being the best, one of the best in the world. He he went from hitting 400-foot home runs to hitting 500-foot home runs because of steroids. That's the freaking truth. Because when you're hitting the ball with a bat, with a piece of wood, and you're stronger, and you're bigger, and you grew like that guy grew, or Mark McGuire grew, Mm -hmm. or Canseco grew, you're hitting bombs. Well, the word on the street was that Barry Bonds was... Well, he was a great hitter, contact hitter anyway. Great hitter. then he was just... His line drives became home runs. This is, this is an unfounded rumor, but it was very being like passed around as a story at the time, which was the whole reason Barry Bonds got into taking steroids was he was upset because he felt like he was like the best player in the league. You know, most sports athletes are big egomaniacs. They want recognition. And when he was like one of the best players in the league, his best fielder, one of the best hitters. This is back when he was with the Pirates? No, this is right when he moved to the Giants, I think. Like right when he moved. He was still base but it, skinny. Yeah, he was still skinny, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, McGuire and Sosa in the home run race took off. He saw all these guys doing so well, and he's like, if I was cheating, imagine what I'd be doing too. <laughs> right. And as soon as he was cheating, he was making them look like jokes. Yeah, so he really was the best player. Who's the best player now? Exactly. So it's like the perception of what a level playing field is. It's, it's so, like the Lance Armstrong thing. It's so – exactly. Who's the best right cyclist? Well, I don't care. If they're all you cheating. Know, Don Alric and all those other guys were, were, you know, were cheating, and Lance wins. Well, guess what? Lance is the best. So that leads into the second question I have, which is then there's the level playing field argument versus the moral authority argument. The level playing field argument, you know, we need things to be equal to get a fair analysis of competition, which we know is proven to be false because there's so many variables to take into account between what's level to start at and what, what potential you actually have. You know, somebody with a low potential who works as hard as possible might be able to achieve more than somebody with a ton of potential who works as low as possible. So that's one of the arguments against steroids. The other main one being made is the moral authority argument, which is the message it sends to everyone about competition and fairness, especially children. So I want to know your thoughts on those two arguments, Matt. Do you see any validity in either one? Do you think there's a third argument we should take into account? Well, I didn't see any of the data that came out of steroid use in high school. And the effect, and the you know, if if 
the usage in pro sports and the um, admissions of guilt and the uh, exposing of the rampant uses in pro sports had any effect on high school use? Do you, I mean, do you do you know anything about that? I don't think most That's something I did overlook in, in 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 my research. But here's the thing, like, I think that you can teach at a at a younger level. I mean. You can, the problem is the internet, right? You can get you can get this stuff on the internet, and, and people can find it. But I, I have to come back to parents. I mean, like you, there. I I don't see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it, if kids are really affected by it. If kids make if you're like, well, they did it, so I'm going to use it. Does it make it easier for kids to make that decision? Does it really? I don't know, and I mean. I don't know if taking steroids is right or wrong. I'm not sure, which means I don't know if you can tell Jimmy, the baseball player, who's worked his whole life and it's his entire dream to play for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he spent 20 years doing it, and he's in the AAA, and every time he gets his chance, he's right on the verge of making it, he just can't get his numbers up enough. But he knows everybody else is using steroids, and if he took some HGH or some tests as well, he'd be batting two three points higher, get a few more home runs, and he'd get to call up to the majors. No, Jimmy, your dreams aren't worth it. You're like, I, I don't well, know if that's fair for saying, me to make that, that trickle downs, Does that trickle down to the same thing where a, guy, a kid's in high school? And Most kids can't get steroids in high school, bro. That's a fact. What's that? The use of steroids, it becomes way more prevalent the older you get. Yeah. High school rates are so astronomically low, it's ridiculous. But people have the perception about it at a very young age between what people are doing and what's right and wrong. So what right? they're saying is that they're becoming, they're, they're making them conditioned to say when that time comes to lean towards using steroids. I mean, I think that's why we had the whole political grandstanding in the 90s, you know, like Congress, besides distracting from their own incompetence, they kind of wanted to take that holier-than-thou mentality of, you know, like, look, we're going to imprint in the mentality of the youth that this is wrong, and if you do this, we're going to take you in front of the world and make you like a laughingstock and shame you and do all these things. And that really was kind of their parental goal, I'd say, of that whole investigation was really to just set in the culture, like, we're against this. And we're going to make a political grandstand. Well, it's really funny that you said that because, like, I really thought that uh, Jeff Nowitzki was basically saying that he was like, we had girlfriends on the stands, like, you know, talking about these men, and you know, they're. Yeah. It was embarrassing for it them. It was embarrassing for them. And I'm like, you're serious? That's why we'd hope they'd cooperate so we, they wouldn't get embarrassed, right? You're making $30 million a year. It's not embarrassing. Give shit less. Yeah, let her talk about me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's why she's my ex. <laughs> She didn't even get a prenup. Right up there. She That's get, why. She didn't even get a prenup. I knew this was coming. I knew I should have never trusted her. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it just seems like they did make all this political grandstanding, though, to send a kind of like a message to society. That was kind of their goal. You know, the moral authority. We need to set in the tone what's right and what's wrong. And I don't know in unique situations what is right and what's wrong because you can only be reactive. You know, at the end of the day, you're only accountable to yourself. So if everybody else is juicing to make the majors and you're right on the cusp and that's your dream and you aren't juicing, you know, if in your heart of hearts you know it's the right thing to do for you is to not take steroids and you're willing to not make the majors to do that, then like I, I applaud you for that. If you are willing to do that, maybe I might not applaud you, but I completely understand it and I wouldn't hold it against you. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it's a very, very nuanced topic. It's almost impossible to avoid just because there's too much fame and money to be won. I really do believe that, you know, if the fame and money 
was much more minimal, people wouldn't be as motivated. They'd want to win, but they'd be more motivated by the purity of knowing they won the right way than they would by the gains. Because the gains are what drive everything. That $30 million, that supermodel Victoria's Secret girlfriend, that worldwide adulation. You walk into restaurants, they're giving you a table, buying you free drinks, everyone's patting you on the back, telling you how amazing you are. You take that away from somebody and it's like, well, if I get to get the satisfaction, like, like let's just do this. What's there, what's there to really gain by cheating except knowing that I cheated to beat you? There's no $30 million or, or, or Victoria's Secret girlfriend on the end of that deal. Right, right, right. And I think that happens when you get older just by getting older where you're just like, yeah. Your T-levels are down, bro. Just I, I think you need to get on it. Like get on the juice. Your T-levels must get be down. TRT. Your T-levels must be low because you're like, yeah, I'm just not that competitive So I pulled anymore. up this crazy – I pulled up this report um, a little bit. It was about high school uh, usage of, of steroids. Growth hormone use exploding among high school teens. July Ooh. 23rd. 2014 in the New York Post. I mean, these kids got way too much money to spend. If That's what I'm thinking. Like, I, hey, my allowance was like $10 a week or something <laughs> in high school. Like, like, these guys are taking like $100 in like HDH a week or something. How that much is that period. stuff, right? If, if they, listen, if high school students are taking HDH, their parents are getting it for them. They cannot afford it. There's no way. It's like incredibly prevalent among what, like the one percent right. in the Hamptons. Yeah. So anyway, it says uh, in a confidential 2013 study. Oh, it's it's only 35. It's only 3,700 students um, that were high school students uh, by Partnership for Drug Free Kids. 11 percent reported using synthetic HGH at least once, up from about five percent in the four preceding annual surveys. They're lying. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. I mean, like survey. Going off somebody's word. I know, you know and, I mean? and only 3,700. So anyway, those are bogus numbers. It's a small sample section of America, 3,700 high school students. Yeah, it's very nuanced. What region of the country, what income level, what yeah. ethnicity. Right. Those things are all huge what factors that who take steroids. Huge factors, you yeah. know, like your family, your background. There's tons of influencing factors on that. Like you said, first and foremost, it should start with the family. The family should be the one to set your moral compass on making these decisions in life. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be the government. There right. never should have been this grandstanding political sideshow with senators asking Barry Bonds' girlfriend if they ever saw him stick a needle in his ass. You know, like he could have been doing better things like not giving away our future planet, economy, and military to the Saudis in the mid-90s. But that's another topic. So, uh, yeah, it just it seems like this government... Oh, that's all right. So uh, the, same, the same people found that uh, 23% of teens uh, are abusing uh, prescription drugs. So we're good on the steroids, people. <laughs> define, define, abu- define abuse. Is it abuse? If, if, if little Susie has a prescription for Adderall, is she really abusing it? Well, let's talk about performance-enhancing drugs, right? Okay, so Adderall. So you got... Okay. You got more focus. You got more focus, right? You got kids using Adderall in college that aren't supposed to be pass using tests. to pass tests. They, they don't have a prescription hey, for it. That's a prescri- that's ac- performance enhancing drug. Academic performance enhancing. Exactly. Right? Definitely. And guess what? And guess what? There's more money at the end of that rainbow too. And that that's funny because that's like a money bleed. Think about this. They're so concerned about like athletes using steroids to make money. Well, if you're like a student trying to get into college, you got to get those high test scores. You got to get that SAT score, that ACT score, whatever fucking test they come out with. You got to get that high score. You got to get that high GPA. And that's not fair to the other gotta, kid that's not on. That's not cheating. Oh yeah, and taking exactly. You, you got to be Adderall. in all. You got to be in all these clubs doing all this stuff. So if you got your Adderall fix popping, you're running shop on all this stuff, doing boss. Well, now you get to go to Stanford or Harvard, 
and Joey, you know, two shoes next to you, he doesn't get to Who go. Who made the decision not to take a performance enhancing drug. He gets to go to community college. And guess what? But guess what? You're paying the hundred grand to go into Harvard. You ain't making 30 mil. Right. So you're taking a PED to spend money. These guys, these guys are taking PEDs to make money and we're lambasting them. But wait a minute, but they're not taking PEDs just to make money. They're making money for people. A lot of people. A lot of people. Nike. Oh, the could, teams they play for, the Visa, Coca-Cola, the sponsors they have, the, the company owners. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people got their hands in that pot, hey. and then all of a sudden, that guy's vilified, and people are jumping off the freaking ship, being like, "I didn't know he was on steroids. I didn't know that Lance Armstrong was on drugs." When the entire cycling industry is on drugs, and he's winning seven times in a row, but I didn't know. But you know what? We were riding that gravy train like a mother when we were when he was winning. Yeah, I'm in the Pyrenees like a boss. I forget it was like whether it was Chris Rock or somebody or Chappelle, but they had this joke where it was like, you know, you know, this is before like Oprah was a billionaire or Dr. Dre, and there's actually a few black billionaires. But he's like, you know, people always tell me there's all these rich black people. I'm like, hey, rich black people. They go, well, what about Shaq? I go, Shaq's not rich. The guy who signed Shaq's checks, he's rich. <laughs> you know, there's always somebody bigger making way more money. It's so easy to take the public figure. And destroy them because they're in the public they're known they're a known commodity there's all the guys behind the scenes really making the money they're happy the light the light's not on them because they were turning a blind eye well this is what's happening in all the sports it wasn't until there was like some sort of public outcry to make something happen for the moral authority that these guys are like oh we're compelled to do something yeah in the meantime they're like we're happy to take these huge I mean, baseball's baseball's collective bargaining agreement during the time of freaking mark mcguire and sammy sosa when they were jacking home runs and freaking tv ratings going through the roof and everybody's this, loving oh, this, the, the, test, the testing protocol all this stuff they didn't even freaking have freaking drug testing as part of the as part of the uh as part of their contract so and then all of a sudden they're like oh my god i can't believe this happened yeah i i think the same that everyone repeats is that it used to be an intelligence test because the only way you'd fail is if you were an idiot. Yeah. They tell you in advance when the test was, where it was. Well, still, you had, I mean, you had the even, perfect amount of time to cycle on what you even, wanted and didn't need even to use. Even a lot of testing, apparently, uh, you know, if you listen to the old Joe Rogan podcast with Victor Conte, right, the owner of Falco. Yeah, I've heard that one. That's um, old one. And he's uh, talking about the fact that. You know, it's an 18-month cycle. You get three tests during this period. You're allowed to miss two of these tests. By the time that the third test comes around, you're clean, and the other two tests have dropped off. So you get a whole fresh new three sets again, so you can miss two tests in 18 months. And uh, all you have to basically do is be like, hey, um, I'm training here, but then that day you're not training there. You're training over somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, they can always look for suspicious patterns of behavior, though, and now the focus is on you more than you want. I mean, if you do listen to that interview, the one thing I did take away from it where I wasn't hating Nowitzki was... Look, when I'm he, not when, hating what he's talking about in fighting anyway. I'm yeah. not hating on you, Nowitzki. I'm no. not at all because I think you're going to do good things for this sport where you're going to protect a lot of people. There's a lot of there's a lot of injury I, I I mean, You might destroy a lot of people in the process, but the underlying argument behind what he was doing... The underlying argument behind what he was doing was like, look, if we make it where like people associate that the risks with this are so great, you know, you're, you're going to suspend it for three, four years, which is what the risks they were saying in yeah. MMA. You get three years suspension for your first time. It could be worse. It could be a lifetime ban. Three years. You know, that's, that's, a career, that's a career killer for a lot of people. Uh, you know, we're going to test your old samples and if we can prove it, think of what that'll do to your career. When you, kind of, when you kind of dangle that guillotine over people's heads though, now it's like, okay, the risks are way 
way going up associated versus the benefits. This right. isn't the end. This isn't Major League Baseball. You're not making twenty million to be a bench warmer. You're not making a million dollars to be a bench warmer. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're a bench warmer in the UFC, you're making thirty grand to get punched in the face multiple Ooh. times for a living. That doesn't sound fun. Yeah, for thirty grand, it, it doesn't sound fun for a bench warmer. So now it's like, okay, the risks are huge. They they could ruin my career. They could suspend me for years. They could take my purse away. And I'm getting punched in the face for decades to get to this point. Okay, probably not worth it at this stage of the game. Let's not do it. In baseball and other things, it's going to be very, very difficult to unmotivate athletes from doing that when just the financial rewards are so so ridiculous. I think they're always going to be compelled to do it. It's funny that like in very niche sports like MMA, cycling, track and field, unless you're like in the one percent, you're the George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, you're the Lance Armstrong, you're the uh, you know. Marion Jones or whoever it is in track and field. There's so few names that become these superstars that are worth tens of millions of dollars. It's funny that those are the sports where they have the highest usage. You know what I mean? Like the usage is estimated in these sports at like 75% plus. Where the mainstream sports, it's actually gauged at like 20 to 40% hmm. for like NFL, Major League Baseball, things like that. They, they think it's much, much lower. But the rewards are so much greater. Well, it's an interesting dynamic there. Do you think it's because they're already making good money? So they're like, man, I'm, you know what? I'm playing. I'm playing every day. No, I'm I think seven, eight million. I think the, I think the competitive aspect of it comes into play there because it was both we were talking about the money and the fame. There's still some money and fame, and people want to be the best. We're in a very like competitive culture, especially when you're in any type of sport your whole life. You're you're, you're a competitor. You want to win. That's in your blood. You're driven to do it. So even if it's a niche sport. You've been doing it your whole life. You're like programmed to win, and you know. And when you know everybody else is using, now you're compelled to do the same thing as them. I think that's why you see it more in like cycling or track and field or MMA. Honestly, you you have to assume the other guy's doing it. You I, have to. Honestly, I rode bikes competitively. You know that. Yeah, you have to assume they're using. People, I think that people. I think that there's such a high level in cycling because cycling is a grueling, grueling, grueling test. The human it, it's like running. It's, it's like track and field sports. They're they're, they're 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 pure physical. They're pure physicality. The tech yeah, the, te the techniques. You go places yeah. on a on a bicycle, climbing those mountains that you would never you would never go ever. That's doorstep. It's, huh? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's pretty crazy. So, I mean, and and, and you know, people have touched on this that you, sometimes people say that hey, these guys in order to get through this sport, they need the drugs. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They made that argument that cycling, your body is literally like shutting down. Your kidneys are starting to go into dialysis. Well, three weeks, man. Yeah, I mean, like you're losing so much. Miles plus you're losing a day, so much. Weeks, Every so day much. you lose ten pounds of water and put it back on and ride again. So what you're putting your body through, it really would be healthier for these guys to be on some regulated, clinically administered plan. Well, you were asking about the, the, the children, right? And if the kids are, are seeing this and, and what we think about the kids and, and you know, knowing this use. And, well, here's the thing. What if we change the perception of these drugs in the professional ranks to a maintenance type of thing where this is, this is what it's used for? These are where these drugs can actually add and benefit the athlete. If we use them correctly and we use it to maintain their physical condition, there's nothing wrong with maintaining your equipment and your assets as a company. And that's what those, those athletes are. And they have, they're wear and tear items. You're using them over and over and over and over again. They're doing the same uh, you know, type of uh, moves. And, and What if you've and, got improper levels? 
or, or bringing your proper levels up. You know what I'm saying? Lionel Messi, in my opinion, the greatest soccer player of all time. He famously had his club Barcelona pay for his HGH treatments when he was 13. Yeah. Because he had low levels yep. when he was 13. He was like a pituitary deficiency. He was, he was he, really he, small. And that's why he's so good is because he's so small. He's so small and powerful. Did that HGH play a role? He's so quick because he was on HGH. Did that HGH uh, when he was hitting puberty? Sorry, Leo, but that's awesome. You're awesome, bro. Hey, you're my favorite. Ever. Heck hey, yeah! I just want to say he was on HGH treatments while he was hitting puberty. I wonder if that played any development in his quickness and agility. Yeah. It, hey, who knows? Maybe if he was already, uh, you know, predisposed to having, uh, you know, the uh, the fast twitch, you know, type two muscle fibers, and maybe that just increased him and he was in his development. He was already playing soccer at that time, so he was just already getting. But like you said, if that's all it took to become Lionel Messi, every kid would be having his dad force HGH right. down his throat at dinner. I don't care, Jimmy. You're drinking it, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't care if you don't want it. You're right. taking it. Yeah. You're going to be the best. For sure. If you knew it worked. If you knew it worked that easy, that's all you had to do. Right. That's not all you have it's to not do. A, it's not a magic wand, people. Like, you know, you have to understand, and they talk about this a lot in the, that Bigger, Faster, Stronger um, <clears throat> uh, movie, is that... A lot of times, the guys that are on the drugs are working out harder because one, it allows you to. It allows you to work out more uh, in, 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 in you know greater frequency. The recovery um, the is the recovery, main recovery, right? And um, and then during those bouts, then you can go harder because you're fresher, right? Each time, and so it allows you to do that. And these people are already compelled to take these drugs to be the best. And that's what their obsession is. And so they're driven by that. And so doesn't that make you believe that they'd be more inclined to work out more harder, more often and at a higher intensity than somebody who was not taking those drugs. And they had a lot more to prove because they had, they were like, I'm on these drugs. And like, if I, now I'm taking these drugs, so I have to win. I don't even have a choice now. Yeah, it's interesting what it does to the mental psych. It really is. Because you could see how it could be a psychological boost or a psychological burden. Yeah. Depending on how things are going for you. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, uh, a lot of guys who don't take steroids in uh, the UFC, Nick Diaz, for example, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something way back in an interview like, you know, all these guys are here using PEDs, and that's cool or whatever. You know, they can do their thing and mess their bodies up, and, you know, that's when a few years from now they're breaking down on becoming on strong. Because you know, because guess what? A lot of guys aren't doing it clinically, and they're putting their bodies right. through the ringer. Right. But what I would say is, just like just like illicit drugs, is that because it's on the black market and because it's kept in the shadows, and that is why these athletes aren't doing it right. And if it was brought out in the open and it was used in a more clinical format, and these doctors were administering these drugs in order to, uh, you know, do preventative care and maintenance to these athletes to maintain their, you know, their their body uh, working properly over time, then you wouldn't have people doing the stuff like keeping freaking blood bags in their freezer and freaking, mm -hmm. you know, giving themselves their own transfusions and crap like that. It's crazy where it's going. I mean, maybe you'd always have a little bit of it, but let's say you wouldn't. It wouldn't be so, per, you know, pervasive. So that leads me to like my my final question for you, which is, you know, where things are going, and I call this like the Gattaca situation, because we're reaching a stage now where there's going to be gene manipulation in the near future. Yep. You're going to be able to go to your doctor, and you know they'll scan the kid in the womb. And you could literally be like, yeah, I want him to be blonde with blue eyes and six foot four, and he should have some really, really powerful delts. He's going to be a, a world-class, you know, rugby player or something. 
and literally you're making a super athlete in the womb. And that'd be completely legal because he's not taking PEDs. But you're building a Superman before he's ever existed and can develop into one. So what stage do we say, like, this shouldn't be allowed, you know? Uh, it's kind of, I don't know where it's going to go. What, do you think it could ever reach that stage? That would be allowed? I, I don't know if they're ever going to catch it. Because how are you going to catch it? Because that's the thing. They're saying, like, well, if in the womb you could be like, this kid's not going to have cancer. He's not going to get measles. He's going to be immune to well, all these diseases. Well, look, if you can make him immune to diseases that would kill him, everyone would be like, well, of course. Why should he have to die? If anybody's going to be born and we could make them healthier, let's do that. Okay, well, why not make him stronger? Because if he's stronger, then he'll be healthier. Well, let me tell you this. Here's the thing, to be honest with you. First of all, if we do that, this this planet's gonna die because we can't sustain that. Whoa. Kids don't get cancer. You're not this gonna planet's gonna die anyways. No, that's true. That, that's the purpose. Why we're here. Anyway, um, you know, it, yeah. Right now, so right now, what they're doing is they're looking at like markers, right? They're looking at variants between you know the biological passport. That's what we we're kind of talking about. Yeah, so basically I'm, check, I'm, checking somebody's levels over time to see what the variants and different things are. Right, exactly. And so we can kind of start there. So and so they can they they kind of track. And see, um, they have a baseline, and they see if somebody's outside of this. Yeah, these these are your regular testosterone readings at 6 a.m. after a training session. You should be in a certain range based on what you've done historically. And then that's where microdosing comes in, and that's where they're saying now that these people are taking these microdoses of these drugs, and they're seeing the benefits of it, but they're staying within this range, and so they're not getting caught. Um, And now uh, we're into the, um, again, Gene doping. So basically the problem with gene doping is, is that one, it's already happened. They've already done gene doping to mice and to other animals and they figured out ways to manipulate these genes in order to either grow muscles, um, turn certain things on and off like you were talking about. So it's not as scientifically far-fetched as we kind of imagine. Um, this isn't something that... It's not 100 years from now. It's not 100 years from now. It's right now. It's right now. I mean, actually it was it was... Clinical, okay. clinical trials are going to be soon. Yeah, I mean, they did it in mice 11 years ago. <laughs> yeah, who, knows what the, who knows what the government's yeah, doing? Exactly. Captain America exactly. could be getting built right now. Exactly, no kidding. Um, and so so this is something that is happening right now. And the reason what's going on is, is that um, IGF-1 um, is what they're, what, they're, what they're targeting, right? And that's uh, insulin-like growth factor 1. Okay, and um, basically the way that it works is muscles can be converted um, from one subcategory to another, but not from one type to another. And so there's two types of muscle fibers, and that's the slow twitch, that's type one, and then there's fast twitch, that's type two. And then the fast twitch has 2B, which is the faster contraction, the explosive muscles, the big muscles that you see on the guys that are just like power athletes, power linebackers, right? And then um, to uh, A, um, is still a fast twitch muscle fiber, but it has um, you know more um, less fatigue uh, than than the explosive muscle. So that would be somebody who is like maybe a 400 meter runner, right? Who doesn't have the explosion to run like 100 meters, like a Usain Bolt type of dude. Um, and so anyway, so what they can do is uh, they can um, just like you can alter the the mix of your muscles to a certain degree, like I was saying that you can you can train your fast twitch A to become fast twitch B and, and, and that sort of thing, um, but only to a certain degree, and muscle size is the same. But IGF-1 controls muscle growth, and with the help from a gene called uh, myostatin, 
and it's a MSTN, and it produces a myostatin protein. And um, this doctor, um, more than 10 years ago, H.L. Sweeney from uh, University of uh, Pennsylvania, he's a molecular physicist, a uh, physiologist. Um, he created, uh, injected a copy of IGF-1 into the genes of mice and made them 30% stronger. <laughs> so I know there's a little bit of uh, scientific jargon there, everybody. I'm sorry to, uh, to do that, but I really wanted to get that out because they were making Schwarzenegger mice. That was what they were calling them, right? And so just like you were saying, making a Superman in the womb, these guys made a mouse 30% stronger um, by injecting uh, a copy of the IGF-1 gene into mice. And that was more than 10 years ago. That's fascinating stuff, Matt. Fascinating. I, I think people actually are interested in some technical knowledge like that. So I appreciate you you sharing that. That really is trippy because it's 10 years ago. Yeah. So who knows where they've gone. I mean, they might be in clinical phases we don't even know about right now. So it, it could be in our lifetime. It yeah. Definitely, I mean, it and, could and, be. And, and right here too. So slow muscle fibers at the Salk Institute, Ronald Evans altered a gene called PPAR Delta uh, to enhance and help nurture fatigue in slow muscle fibers um, and uh, basically um, the mice that they injected it into, they were called marathon mice, could run twice as far and nearly the, twice the distance as the mice not given that. So I mean ultimately- Twice as far. Think about that. It's crazy. It, it, we're ultimately going in this direction though, like I said, where if you get this gene doping going on and you have kids that are being born supermen then you really can't argue that it's not fair for other people to use steroids to catch up to them. So it seems like we're in this perpetual race to get whatever edge necessary to beat the other guy because we're not in competition with each other. We're in competition against each other. So if we're like this ever escalating one-upsmanship over how we can get ahead of the other guy, what's the edge? You know? Well, if he's going to take steroids, I'm going to beat him ahead of time by making my kid in the womb the best. Oh, now we got to give the kid some steroids after he's born, even if he's born a Superman. So he's well, like a super Superman. Yeah, super Superman. Think about that. Oh my God! And like you can apparently you can do this with these with these genes like during your lifetime. So you can manipulate a gene of an adult person. Just put the freaking copy of it in there, have it change. These people would change over time, and uh, they become better athletes because of it. Is there a solution? What can we do to change the well, PD look, culture? Can we change the PD culture? I mean, uh, first and foremost, can we? And if we can, how can we do it? Well, I guess, I guess the argument would be is that even if you did implement what I was proposing to, you know, open it up. Clinical and regulated it, use, yeah. In theory, if it was perfectly executed, well, let's say you, know, if you did be. that, and that's kind of like the free market economy, right? That's like everybody agreeing to just play like this. Oh, so that, that, take, that, like, works, that works out great. That's why capitalism is so balanced. There's no monopolies or oligarchies of any kind. Right. It's just, a, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. Right. And it works out for everyone. Exactly, exactly. So, like, that wouldn't actually work because then you have people abusing the system. There's always going to be people abusing the system, yada, yada, yada. Well, I believe the same thing about doping and, and in sports is the problem is is that the culture there's a lot of money in sports there's a lot of fame in sports as opposed to those things that you talked about there's winning there's the thrill of winning there's that there's all of those the things biological imperative to right. conquer exactly yeah to continue to progress and to do better right yeah. the next time and to conquer you know and to be uh, the alpha male or whatever the hell you want survival to call it. of the fittest your Darwinian instinct to excel right so there's always going to be that the 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 drug makers. And the drug users are always going to be one step ahead of the drug catchers and the people catching people using drugs, the controls that they place on them and the tests and everything else. And it's always going to be that cycle. 
it's just like we're a reactionary type of uh, policing, right? Um, same type of deal. Uh, wow, we didn't even know that that drug existed. This guy was on that drug. So now they're saving blood, right, in labs for years back so that they can, as they create these new tests, they can go back and they can catch these guys and then they can ruin their reputations, um, you know, for what they did a decade ago. If a cheater and cheats and gets away with it, does anybody care? No, he's a hero. Lance Armstrong was a hero until he was a dick. Until he was until until, until he was caught. Right. When it was all just hearsay, he was still a hero to a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, people don't like Lance because of the way that he handled the situation. That's my honest opinion. Uh, well, he had to destroy anybody who came out against him because it had to be that with us or against us mentality. There's no gray area. You can't explain the nuances of blood doping to the casual American cycling fan, right. which, let's be real, there aren't even that many. I mean, people care more about that story than they care about cycling. Oh, yeah, for sure. Cycling's a very niche sport. Yeah, they don't give a shit if he freaking took drugs to win a race. Yeah, I mean, if he was the one-time winner and he hadn't survived cancer, would anybody care? But because he was, you know, the live strong Lance Armstrong, seven-time Tour de France winner, you know, boyfriend, husband, whatever it was to Sheryl Crow. That's the only reason Americans even like cycling. They were like, they, the, all the bike manufacturers in America should be happy about Lance Armstrong because they're still riding the wave off of that. Yeah. You know, no matter what happened, you got so many people into cycling and hooked, and now we're seeing another explosion just based on, at least on the West Coast, because of the, uh, you know, environmental impact, and people are trying to ride bikes a little bit more, too, so we're getting a lot of the hipsters riding around their fixies and stuff like that, which is great. I love it. Um, but uh, Historically, it's been a very European-driven sport. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're a little bit easier on doping. You know, they're like, oh, he got caught. Oh, well, he's going to be banned for a year, and he's going to be back. I think, yeah, I wouldn't say they're dismissive, but they're very more understanding of the circumstances. It seems that way. You know, and I don't know if that's the right stance to take on it. The because is very harsh in general. We love to build you up and break you down in this country. Yeah. We, we only want to make you a star like, so we can That's why that asshole was winning. We knew he was doing something shady. We love the rebound effect here. You know, we want to, we want to build you up to destroy you to build you back up again. Because yeah. We love a good comeback story, too. Yeah. yeah. But I am with those guys, and they were talking about getting hurt uh, with the uh, with the drugs um, in fighting. Yeah, in fighting, the dynamics are different. It's you're not kind, hitting a ball. The it's kind of like the NFL too. You know, you got human collision. You're running into another man trying to spear each other full yeah. speed. When you're talking about those type of mechanics of trying to injure each other, the role steroids are going to play, and your effective ability to injure each other is critical. I mean, like me being able to punch you in the face harder or tackle you harder could permanently alter your quality of life from slightly in that you get a few years less to you have brain damage that makes you speak like shoot Muhammad Ali when you're 50 chest, like or shoot yourself in the chest. Yeah, hundreds of times taking those Man, hands. speaking of that, just real quick, I saw a thing that 87 out of 91 football players who put their brains in to the NFL or to, the, to research had CTE. Dr. Mark Gordon, who's been a regular guest of uh, the Joe Rogan Experience as well, if you can't tell, that's one of our favorite podcasts. He just gets he gets the coolest coolest people to interview because he's Joe Rogan, because he's right. this cool-ass dude. Get he gets, down here to SD, Joe. We'll I, interview you. You can pretty much call up anybody in the world and be like, yeah, I'll go on your show because then I get a million people to pay attention to me. But Dr. Mark Gordon, who's a specialist in CTE, he found people were getting CTE, which is you know basically chronic brain damage. Brain damage. They were getting it from... IEDs going off near them. 
yeah. in, in Iraq. They were getting it from car accidents. They were getting it from, from skiing accidents where they fell in People were getting it from so many things. It was crazy. People thought, oh, I got to get knocked unconscious to get brain damage. I got to get punched in the face so hard it knocks me out, or I need to get tackled so hard I'm unconscious for me to have brain damage. Anytime you feel like, you know, they say like, oh, he, he, he's getting the, clearing the cobwebs out. He got yeah, his bell. He got his bell rung. He saw stars. He's woozy. Oh, you see him go stanky legged. Yeah, he just took a concussion. Right. You know, and that's one you can actually see. There's minor ones where you don't even see it. You know, a guy gets punched in the face. He's fine, and then five minutes later, he goes unconscious and doesn't wake up. There's right. those ones too. Yeah. Yeah. So I just had to throw that out there. So, but that I mean, it is from light things. So just imagine getting hit by somebody who's on steroids, and you're not on steroids over and over and over again by that guy who is that much stronger and just able to fucking pummel you. Yeah, no, it, the reason I brought up Mark Gordon was it's just amazing that like you realize how easy it is to get brain damage. Any massive impact, not even that massive, minor impact to your head is going to bounce your brain off your skull. There's a very, you know, thin layer of liquid separating your yeah. skull from We're your brain. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that. So it's amazing to me that these football players just kind of didn't expect it. And that was the thing where they sued the league yeah. for not letting them know about the dangers. It's like, huh, I, I always thought running into these other 300-pound gorillas full speed was going to be good for my long-term brain well, quality. Well, they just had too much faith in their equipment, right? They were just blind to the risks because the rewards are so present. You only live in the present when you're king of the world this superstar, rich, famous, powerful dude. Yeah. You're not thinking about 20 years from now. You're just living in the moment. You're right. I do live in the present. You know, so like you aren't thinking about those hits until you have to recover from them. Yeah. You know, there's been some big guys in MMA recently. Uh, TJ Grant was one. He had basically, I think he knocked out Gray Maynard about three years ago. He was on the cusp of a title shot. But he was started displaying concussion-like symptoms. You know, he's getting headaches. He had, he couldn't even train. He had to like take time off of work. He basically hasn't fought in three years. He's working as a miner, a miner in like the mines. Oh, like a miner. Like a like a literal miner. Because miner forty nine er. Pretty much, but it's like this is like in like Scandinavia or something. It's supposed to be a tough tough ass work. It's yeah. rough. You make good money, but seems like good training. But he's on like the cusp of you know a title shot, the epitome of your career, and he's like, I can't do this anymore. Wow. You know like. I, you're seeing a lot more with football players, fighters. People are way more aware of the fact that you know you might not be able to tie your shoes when you're, like, you're 40 years old. 50 yeah, years that old. kid. Uh, he was like a 24 year old. He was rookie of the year or whatever for the 49ers. What was his name? And he retired. God, I forget what that was. Yeah, was, just like this year, right? Uh -huh. Something like that. Yeah. So anyway, he retired because of the wrist, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, I, I, I got other stuff I can oh, do. Yeah, I got other stuff I can do, and I, this is not what I want to do. I, I, I made it. I played in the NFL. This is what I wanted to do, but I don't want to risk my whole life." Some people can deal with those symptoms, it's like a safety, or you know. But I, I don't know how. Like, if you've ever had a migraine, and I'm fortunate, I've only had a couple in my life. Like, no, I've never had one. Oh, I mean, oh, it's like I mean, if you had a headache, just imagine a really bad headache. And it just doesn't go away. A migraine's way worse than that. But like when you have a headache, you just like lie down and you just hope hope it stops. You really well, can't even do in anything. hockey, right? Those guys were getting pretty bad concussions. Uh, oh. Cindy Crosby was out for quite some time with a concussion. Like, Hockey's months. dangerous as shit, man. Even without the, even with the reduced body checking and this and that, these guys have no teeth for a reason. Because to get to the <laughs> yeah. NHL level, there's a lot of dirty shit going on. Yeah. Now you're at like top level. Okay, you're probably not taking as many massive hits. You know, as you're used to in the NHL, but to get there, what do you have to? How many times do you take a stick in the face, a puck right. in the mouth? 
Yeah. Such a ruthless sport. Those guys are so tough. Yeah, they are. They're like the lumberjacks of sports. They are. There's like there's tons <laughs> there's tons of like grace and skill and beauty to what they do, but at its core there's this like very like manly Raw. like let's beat the shit out of yeah. each other. I have body stick. check, punch. It's the only sport where you, only sport outside of fighting where you can fight within the sport and they just give you a penalty. You come back in the game a few minutes later. They don't yeah. they don't kick you out of the game for beating the shit out of each other. But they do that because you do have a stick. They do that because there's always been this thing in hockey that like you have to keep people in check. Yeah, because it can, so it can boil over a little bit, and they yeah. don't come out there and just whack somebody with a stick like Marty McSorley did. Exactly. Like you're you're not wearing full body padding like in football, where the worst thing's going to be a cheap shot where somebody like, tackles you when you're not expecting it. Like somebody could hit you in the face with a with a stick. Yeah. You know they could like literally cross check the shit out. Of they you. could cross check the shit out of you where you're not looking and put your head right into the boards and oh. break your neck. I mean, they yeah, can do a they lot stop of that so, pretty, pretty much. So they say, yeah, if you know, that. like if we let these guys punch each other in the face a couple times and you can like punch each other, you're on skates. This isn't going to be like Mike Tyson. Like you, to really hurt somebody. At one time you're going to fall. To really hurt somebody with punches, you have to be able to plant your feet. You can't plant your feet on skates. So you might be able to hurt the guy. You're not going to kill him with a punch. Right. You know, the refs are there to grab you and tackle you the second somebody falls or there's a lull. So let's let these guys regulate it themselves by having a little bit of controlled violence. Yeah. But it's interesting, it's the only sport that allows, any other sport, even if you like, you know, like soccer, you like slap a guy in the face, you push him in the neck, they might, oh, throw, yeah. they might throw you out of the game. And especially if you bite somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, ima- imagine if like in soccer, somebody like hit you with a cheap foul, you got and up, you, you got bat. up, you each grabbed your jerseys, you went rocking soccer and robots on each other's faces for a minute, the refs tackled you, and then they put you on the side of the field for five minutes I'll before you, you came what, back on. Cristiano Ronaldo wouldn't look like that anymore. Hey, I don't think motherfuckers would dive anymore. <laughs> Let me be real. Let me be real and say diving would be over. Over. Nobody would be diving. Over. Because you might get popped. You might get popped hard by that guy. He's like, dive on me. You're about to get checked. That's funny. Well, we diverted a little bit off of our, uh, off of our topic of the... Uh, steroid use, but uh, I think we covered it quite well and uh, kind of hit on a lot of topics. Again, um, you know, I don't think we're ever going to get rid of it. I don't think it's something that we're ever going to uh, be able to stop people from trying to get ahead in life, uh, whatever their profession is. And that is exactly what the sport is, is a profession. And people take drugs every day to do their profession better. Uh, coffee is one of them. Everybody takes a performance enhancing drug. Well, most people performance enhancing drug of some sort. Um, and you hit the nail on the head the right there, Matt. You hit the nail on the head. I used to work in a banking environment, and there was a guy who at seven in the morning he'd go get one of those like forty ounce rock stars with energy. Oh my god! So he's drinking like four hundred milligrams of caffeine, two hundred milligrams of guarana, a hundred grams of sugar, and they've proven that sugar has the chemical equivalent of cocaine on the brain. This guy's basically did an eight ball and a coffee enema to start work. And you're telling me that's not performance enhancing? Right. Come on. Right. Come on. They're typing faster. Come on. I know you ain't typing 150 words per minute on your own, son. Right. Come on. No, but exactly. And, and, and then you have to also think about the way that Adderall is looked at. In, in the, and we know we have a problem in college, but it's kind of like, oh, yeah, those college kids are taking Adderall to get their, to, you know, to pass their finals or whatever. But yeah, but then it comes out into the real world. And then the guy sitting next to you in the cubicle 
He's taking freaking Adderall illegally because he gets it from his buddy who has a prescription or whatever. And you're not taking Adderall. And then all of a sudden, guess who's out of that freaking entry-level job and into middle management? Not you because he's doing twice the freaking work that you are because he's taking Adderall illegally. So it's all over the world in every profession. It's not just sports. Sports we look at and we look at performance-enhancing drugs because we call them steroids. And it's just a misnomer for most of the things that people are taking nowadays. Most of the time nowadays, people are taking some sort of hormone or something like that or the EPO and yeah. Yeah, I agree with most of that. I mean, I, I don't know if it ever can change. I don't think it's going to. But if it was going to change, how do you change the culture? It's not going to be by shaming athletes mm -hmm. in public. You know, it's just something that we've got to take care of on our own. And that's going to be really difficult to do because to change the culture, I think you have to make us a lot less results oriented. We've got to be more focused on the process because then it's not about winning or losing. It's about how you won or lost. Right. It's, not, it's not about how much work you got done that day, but about how you got that work done that day. If we could focus on the process more than the result, then we'd care more about what we were doing to get there. But we're so results oriented in this day. Our culture is about who can do what for me and when and how. Right. Show me the numbers mm -hmm. and I'll go off that. You know, sports are a very metrics-driven uh, environment, just like business. Oh, yeah, just show like me, baseball. Show me the sales. I'll give you the commissions. There's no more stat taken in in baseball. Yeah, money ball. I mean, my God. So to change that culture, we're talking about a seismic shift in how we think about life. And I don't know if you can convince somebody who's locked into this ideal of programming that our whole theory about this competitive biological drive to make each other better as being the way to move us forward is going to get us there. It might end up eating away at us and destroying each other because we're so worried about getting ahead. You know, so how can we change it to make each other better without destroying each other? That's the kind of Rubik's Cube problem we need to work at solving. I don't know how, but uh, that's kind of at the root of the issue. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. You know, I do think we can change things. I don't think it's going to happen, but I do think we are capable. So by having this discussion and talking about it, at least we're probably bringing things out of the shadows a little and making it a little more normalized to just think about things a little differently and pull some new information. I loved the statistics you brought in, Matt. I think learning things like that, we can really learn the science about what it's doing to our bodies and what it's capable of doing to us. Yeah, yeah, especially the new technology and the ways that we can really increase uh, you know, performance through, through the scientific means. And again, you know, we increase performance externally through scientific means all the time. If it wasn't for sport, if it wasn't for sports, would we have any problem with it? That's that's exactly what my. That's why I tried to bring out the Adderall and try to draw yeah. that, you know, that analogy a little bit. If I could take, if I could give you this pill, it made you bigger, stronger, faster, sleep better, healthier, more virile, with no side effects. Should I have any problem with it unless you're playing a sport to get one up on the competition? Yeah, it's illegal, but we're not going to test you for it, and you're going to make more money. If you take it. It's like Rogan said about HGH and testosterone. He's like, of course, I'm on both these things because wh who doesn't want to wake up in the morning with more energy, more hair, feeling bigger, stronger, faster, younger? Like, like why would I, I want to feel worse? You're telling me I should feel worse because it's natural to feel worse. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand. Yeah, like, that's it's counterintuitive. It's, it's, People don't do that It's anyway. making me feel better without harming me, but because it's normal to feel worse, it's better to be normal. Hmm. Hmm. The logic behind that's really twisted. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're definitely stuck in a, a very interesting problem. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens 
in the future with steroids, with the increased testing. I'm, I'm going to be amazed to see what happens in MMA specifically with the weight classes, uh, with fighters who used to look amazing. You've already seen it. Guys who used to look like killers, they show up and they look soft on the scales. It's already happening. So amazing stuff to look for in the future. Thank you as always for your time, Matt. You're the man. You really brought it hard on this episode. I appreciate the, uh, the stats and the stories. Super fun, man. I love it. I love this topic. I think there's a lot more to be discussed about it. I just think people need to not put it in a vacuum of sports and start to look at it in more of a context of the social issue like you were talking about and the way that you know we go about things and the way that we look at things um, in, in life and in, uh, in getting ahead and what, uh, what that means. So anyway, man, let's get on with our Saturday. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. It's the Material Devolution Podcast. Matt Walter, Devin Ebert, signing off. Have a good one. Always peace and love. Much love.